Welcome to the Craft Annual Halloween Special when I take over the airwaves that are normally left for important and useful radio shows and we bring you our direct straight from the diseased minds of that usual gang of idiot writers and myself, Doug Dangler. So tonight we're going to bring you a number of sketches uh, that are supposed to be comic. We'll see whether they are. And then some other special treats such as music and an actual interview with an author close to that most special of Halloween extras, The Cemetery. So sit back, relax, put your brain in a jar along with those from our other victims and we will begin. Uh, please note that there may be some unintentionally humorous and disturbing moments and hey, it's Midnight Audio Theater. So if you're offended by those things, uh, the younger listeners may wish to go to bed, but what are you doing up at this time anyway? And here we go. Welcome to Cooking with Smith's Good Time Grocery, where you always get the latest on cooking and fine foods, just like you can buy at Smith's Good Time Groceries. I'm your host, Pat Smith. Joining me in the studio today is chef, foodie, and extreme adventurer Philip Carver, who recently suffered a tragic accident during an expedition to Antarctica. He's here to tell us about how it happened, how he survived, and what his interesting plans for the future are. Welcome, Philip Carver, to Cooking with Smith's Good Time Grocery. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Set the scene for us, Philip. You're exploring Antarctica, probably just as cold as a delicious Smith's Good Time Grocery Strawberry Slushy, which are all on sale this month for 20% off with $5 purchase at Smith's Good Time Groceries. Then what happened? Well, I wasn't actually exploring so much. I was there hunting the Antarctic antelope, a rare but not endangered species that is said to have the most succulent flesh of any animal in the world. However, you can only try it if you're willing to hunt it in the frozen hell it inhabits. The indigenous people who live near it consider it sacred and refuse to hunt it. So, if you want this experience, which I sure do, because I'm the ultimate foodie and very interested in exotic taste, you have to hunt it yourself. Interesting. The most succulent flesh of any animal? Have you ever tried a Smith's Good Time Grocery hot dog? I can tell you that fresh off the rollers after a few hours or a few days of slow roasting, it's quite a treat. Uh, no. But to get back to my story... I was tracking the Antarctic antelope when something triggered an avalanche on the mountain I was on. While I attempted to avoid being caught under it, I fell into a crevice and my foot became wedged between some rocks that fell on me. Sounds like a very frightening time. How did you get out? Uh, that's, of course, the most difficult part of the story to talk about. You see, I had nothing with me but climbing stakes and a small dull paring knife that I uh, keep with me for sentimental reasons. So uh, over the next two days, I had to cut my own foot off. <sighs> I can't imagine how painful that must have been. 
Luckily, our listeners don't have to either, because Smith's Good Time Grocery brand acetaminophen is on sale this week. Buy one, get one. Yes, it was very painful, but fortunately I knew that I had people who would be looking for me, and so I focused my mind on that instead of the pain. It was one of the most excruciating experiences of my life, which is saying a lot because I attended the University of Michigan. Wow, you've had a rough life, and your bad luck continued when you were rescued? Yes. Too much time had elapsed before I was rescued, and medical personnel were unable to reattach my foot. It was freezer burned, but I was able to preserve it. In the long run, though, this wasn't necessarily the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah, that's where your story takes an interesting and unexpected turn for me, and why I asked you to join us. Tell me about your plans for your foot. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I am an adventurer chef and a proponent of extreme cuisine. So it seemed only natural that I find a way to make something positive out of this experience. Right. A lot of people would just feel defeated, but you're making lemonade out of lemons, which are on sale this week at Smith's Good Time Grocery for 30% off. Yes, I failed to find the Antarctic antelope, but I had brought back about three pounds of meat. It seemed only reasonable to me to prepare and eat my foot. Amazing, and also controversial. I guess it's a new form of soul food? Not really, but it's my foot, my decision. I think the people who are judging me so harshly on social media need to consider this situation from my point of view. What it means to me for my own sense of wholeness. So it's like that old saying, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoe? Not cool, Pat. Not cool. Sorry, I guess I put my foot in my mouth. But I'm having some trouble seeing this from your point of view. That's a common and thoughtless reaction. Maybe it would help if you saw my foot. What do you mean? I found that when people see the foot, they're a lot more understanding of my situation. So I keep it with me, packed in dry ice in this cooler. Oh, wow. That's really something. You can touch it if you want. It's shrink-wrapped in plastic. (laughs) Kind of like its last new slipper, huh? Again, not cool. Yeah, it's not cool. It's frozen hard as a rock. It has to be. When I'm ready, I'll gently defrost it and make something wonderful. I can't say that I totally understand what you're doing, but I thought that one way to help us better understand you would be to have another expert give his opinion on this topic. Please join me in welcoming your mentor, Philip, Celebrity Chef Gaspard. Surprise! Hello. Oh, God. He's here. So we meet again, beep. The millionth time. It's Philip. Let's discuss this possible dinner of foot a la Philip. If you're thinking about your own dinner right now, why not stop at Smith's Good Time Grocery, where frozen dinners are 30% off throughout the month? Gaspard, what's your reaction to your pupil Philip's decision? Isn't it a very bad idea? Oh, no. This fits in very well with where the modern American culinary world is going. It is no longer, how do you say, um, dog-eat-dog world. It is man-eat-man. It it certainly fits in with your American culture, where you would eat anything and everything. I think he should do this. You think that Philip should eat his own foot? I'm surprised. No, I think it is fantastic. Why should you not eat this when you eat Twinkies and other terrible things that are just not even food? You Americans shovel offal into your mouths while you stare stupidly at the TV and grade your burps. 
America should eat itself. <laughs> we, we gobble it up like the American pigs that you are. Gaspard, I don't feel like you're trying to talk him out of this. And by the way, the freshest pork you can buy is at Smith's Good Time Would you Grocery. Stop that! We could do so many interesting things with this food. And no matter how it comes out, it won't taste as bad as when a peep started under me and tried to make... <laughs> what was it you called it, peep? The meatloaf? Always coming back to that, aren't you? You Frenchies created ketchup so you'd think you'd like it on more things. We did not invent ketchup. This is a dirty lie. I feel like we all need to take a moment here to calm down. Maybe have a drink of Smith's Good Time Grocery brand chamomile tea. A special buy this week. You are the worst teacher ever! You are a hateful person! I'm sensing a little friction here. Was Philip's training unsuccessful? Ah, uh, oui, oui, very unsuccessful. This one only wants to cook terrible foods. Um, little Peep as... Philip! L little Peep has no idea what he's doing in the kitchen. He cannot uh, tripe from sweet breads. <laughs> Let him eat his own food. It is better than his beef bourguignon. <laughs> in your restaurant, you'd cook my foot and call it Kobe beef. How dare you, ignoramus. Smith's good time filet mignon. A steal this week at $3 a pound. Would you like me to do my impression of beef? Um, maybe? Miss again. Seriously. Hello, my name is Peep. I cannot cook. Seems a little bland. Speaking of which, is your casserole bland? It won't be when you use Smith's Good Time Cream of Mushroom Soup. Always available at three cans for a dollar. Of course, Cream of Mushroom, the American desecration of the far superior soup of champignon. Did you grow those champignons under your arms or in your rolls of fat, you unwashed swine? You would probably make a foot tartare dressed in an American sneaker, you heel. I should cook you, Frenchie. I'd have plenty of fat for the gravy. You see, Pat, you see how he is. No respect for the great French traditions in cuisine. No understanding of the delicacy of au jus de vion. It is just fat to him. If you ate me, I would bring such flavors that you never imagined. But only a French chef could cook a Frenchman. Let's test that. Here's a foot upside your head. No. Oh, mon dieu, stop. I'll serve you with a Chianti and fava beans. Oh. Sorry, oh. folks, but oh. that's the end of this no. episode of Cooking with Smith's ah. Good Time Grocery. And remember, if you're going to eat your extremities, why not oh. pair them with Smith's oh. Good Time Grocery oh. Special of the no. Week, Rothschild Chateau ah. Lafitte. Friend, five years ago, if you'd asked people what they thought of Ethan Anderson, they would have told you, he's one cranky guy. He's never happy. Always complaining. And you know what? They would have been right. That's who I was. Grouchy. Mean. Always finding something to complain about. But you ask people now, they'll tell you a different story. They'll say that I'm a sweetie pie happy all the time. Since you'll be here for a while, friend, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened. See, I always wanted to be happy, to go through my life with joie de vivre, smiling at myself in the world, but uh, happiness eluded me. I was unhappy as a child, moody as a teen, and clinically depressed as an adult. 
Back then, I didn't know about chemical imbalances in the body that make some people happy and some people angry. Some people could live in the sewer and find reasons to be glad. Others live in the White House and spew hatred. I thought these feelings were permanent, the miserable, unalterable way that I was born. When I started looking into it, I found that nobody really knew what makes people happy. One researcher said one thing, another said something else, and the third contradicted the first two. So I tried self-help methods, psychologists, even got desperate enough to go to a Scientology meeting junk. All junk. Then I heard about the Kutan. Do you know who they are? No? They're a tribe in the jungles of New Guinea who are the happiest people in the world. Scientists have studied them for years but can't figure it out. Is it nature or nurture? If it's nature, why are the Kutan so happy but the tribes around them aren't any happier than usual? If it's nurture, why couldn't the researchers find some religion or philosophy that makes them happy? Everybody watched, but nobody could tell. Now I bet you think I'm going to tell you about how I journeyed there, which I did, and how I learned from them, which I did, and how these primitive people taught this modern man to connect with nature and find joy. But I'm not. You see, when I lived at the Kutan, I didn't just watch the public interactions and then hide in my tent, writing it up like an academic. I went with them everywhere, did everything they did. I participated in their ceremonies. I sat in on their councils. I'd grown up hunting, so I went with them on their hunts. I learned how they hunted, how they prepared game, how they ate. And I was surprised by how similar our lives were. And when I did all of this, they taught me they weren't born happy. They didn't learn it from their society or their religion or some nut job creation like an e-meter. They acquire happiness. They seek it out. They showed me that I needed to seek what I wanted to be. If I wanted to be happy, I had to look for happy people to see what I wanted to be. And that's how I met you. I've watched you for a long time. I've seen your joy, how you smile at everyone, tell them to have a great day, and you laugh. Oh, you laugh so happy. So what was the one thing I discovered that none of the academics did? I guess I can tell you, since you're so firmly tied to that table. The Kutan are the world's greatest observers and hunters. They watch the tribes around them for the happiest and most joyful members. And the Kutan are cannibals. They showed me that to be happy, you have to eat happy. You are what you eat. Have a great day, friend. I go to the graveyard where we all must go Among the dead and the buried there Just so I will know What it's like beneath those trees Listening to that wind John F. Llewellyn is chairman of Forest Lawn Memorial Parks and Mortuaries and author of A Cemetery Should Be Forever, Saying Goodbye Your Way, and his most recent book, Birth of a Cemetery, Forest Lawn Memorial Park, just came out in August. Welcome to Craft, John F. Llewellyn. 
Well, thank you very much. As a CEO of Cemeteries and Mortuaries, what made you decide to become an author? Really, uh, immersion in the industry, that all, all three books are, are somewhat related to uh, cemeteries and, and funerals. The most recent book was really inspired by finding a treasure trove of old records that told the story of the early days of Forest Lawn in a much different way than had been told before. So your great-uncle was in charge of this originally? Well, he wasn't in charge originally. He, he, made, it, he made it sound like uh, he, he parted the waters and everything was okay and uh, ignored the fact that the cemetery had existed for six years before he even arrived on the scene. And it was another 10 years after he arrived before he actually managed the place. Oh, so he took over then? Yeah, he, t- he, took, he took over, but it, it was, he wanted to make everybody think that it was this absolutely seamless thing. And actually, it, it, was, it, was, it was a mess with lots of contention, uh, litigation, driving the organization almost six feet under financially, to use a, a parody. And, uh, and, and so what, what the book does is, is tell the story as it actually happened. Is there anything you'd be willing to tell us about that? I don't want to spoil the book for the readers, of course. Well, I, I, I guess I would just say it has a little bit of everything. The book is, is really as much about the evolution, although it's ostensibly about the evolution of Forest Lawn. It's about Southern California in the early 1900s, and it reflects sort of the business climate of the time. But in, along the process of getting there, I mean, there were double dealings, there was fraud, there was land speculation, uh, financial finagling. Uh, there was a shootout with a monument dealer in front of the cemetery. I mean, it's just all kinds of things were, were going on that have never appeared before. You're the third generation to be CEO of Forest Lawn. Was it always your intent to be part of that business? No. I mean, I, I went to college thinking I was going to law school, ended up uh, working first for the phone company, running a mailroom, and then as a insurance underwriter with Allstate. And uh, I was working on an MBA, and my father made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So it was your uncle who created the idea of Memorial Parks? Yes. He, he was the one that uh, decided that uh, cemeteries shouldn't be depressing places. Uh, he, he he called them, uh, you know, de- depressing stone yards, and so he he came up with the idea of doing away with the tombstones, putting in the flush uh, monuments, and then introducing uh, statuary by acknowledged artists uh, in a much less dense uh, way than the tombstones would have done, so that you had these beautiful sweeping vistas with beautiful statuary. He added mosaics later. Uh, stained glass in the buildings, and really wanted to be a place for the living as well as a pay, place that uh, honored the departed. How do you maintain a balance of the tourism aspect of Forest Lawn with respect for the dead? The majority of the tourists, uh, which we we do encourage people to come and en- enjoy the art, but most of them are very respectful of it. That uh, We have the occasional person that wants to let their dog out and we said, you know, that's really not nice. People don't like it when uh, a dog does his business on grandma's space. You know, so it, it, it is not a public park. It is a cemetery. There are probably a lot of people who don't know what running a cemetery is like. Are there any interesting aspects of running a cemetery you feel most people don't know? Well, most people think it, 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 it must be really easy. You just dig, dig a hole in the ground, you know, buy it, buy it by the acre and sell it by the foot. 
But the reality is that a cemetery, like any other business, whether it be for-profit or non-profit, has to have enough revenue to pay its expenses. But a cemetery is also a little bit like running a, a small city. You've got roads to maintain, irrigation systems, uh, all of the employee issues that any other organization has. Uh, but uh, you've got plumbers and carpenters and, in our case, air conditioning people and you know, all kinds of auto mechanics and other, other specialties that uh, are necessary to keep the place going. Are there any problems you ran into over the course of your time running Forest Lawn? Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it seems like we're, we're constantly coming up with new things. Of course, more, more recently, uh, as uh, the city has grown, grown up around uh, the cemetery, we have uh, more interaction with our neighbors where we're trying to keep them happy, but at the same time uh, be able to develop our property. Back when the cemetery was founded in, in 2000, excuse me, 1906, they said, oh, well, you know, the cemetery, uh, city limits won't reach the cemetery for 100 years, which, of course, it took much less than that to get there with Los Angeles growth. Do you have any particular locations in the Memorial Park that are your favorite? One of my favorite locations is there's a, a little garden outside of the Church of the Recessional that's tree-lined. Uh, there's a small statue of, of Christ in it, and it's just a very, very tranquil spot that I love. I mean, I, I, I like walking around most of the cemetery because I love the art. Are there any places that aren't as accessible that you're able to go through? You know, m most of the area, other than maintenance areas, is accessible to the public. There are a few uh, gardens that uh, are uh, have, have locks on them that only people that own internment property in those can go in. Uh, but the vast majority of the cemetery is uh, open to everyone. What are some of the ways that you maintain that positive outlook that Forest Lawn strives for? Hire, hire, hire great people and keep your eye on the ball, that uh, uh, Eaton wrote something in uh, 1917 that he called the Builder's Creed, which has really been uh, the, the vision that keeps the cemetery going, and we've pretty much tried to stick with it. Are there any revelations that we can expect in the book that you may not have mentioned? Well, I think anyone that reads it will get, will get a sense of not just the forest lawn and the, and some of the the drama of it, but but also get a better sense of uh, what what it was like in California at the beginning of the 20th century. That uh, it was a time of evolution and innovation in in Southern California as the West was slowly coming into its own. Hollywood was about to to emerge. And uh, as it did, L.A. grew and Forest Lawn grew with all of it. With Hollywood being so nearby, there are many celebrities that end up being interred in Forest Lawn. Was that Eaton's intention originally? It pretty much just happened that as the cemetery started uh, just before the, the dawn of uh, moving pictures being started in L.A., and so uh, as the movie industry grew, Forest Lawn was uh, very prominent because it was different from the other cemeteries in the area. And that attracted people to it because they liked the idea of the sweeping vistas in some place that was uh, not depressing. Well, John F. Llewellyn, it was great speaking with you. Thank you, David. I recommend the book, Birth of a Cemetery, Forest Lawn Memorial Park, where you can learn about the famous cemetery's history, including the previously untold details on the struggles the cemetery dealt with in its early years.
Does today's highly PC world make it hard for you to get specialized customer service you need? Do you go to several stores or make purchases on different days just to avoid invasive questions? Well, worry no more, my friends. Mashalko Super Science Supermarket has everything you need to make your cutting-edge scientific ideas come true. No longer do you have to work with terrorists like Doc Brown did. Need plutonium-241? We got it! Leave that old plutonium-238 to the amateurs. Lack of dilithium crystals got you earthbound? We can make you fly! Think a Stargate is beyond you? Not with our generous financing. We've got the X-Wing fighter of your dreams. So come see us now before the Empire takes away your freedom. That's Mashoko Super Science Supermarket on 1313 Mockingbird Lane. We now back to back. I'm so glad that you were able to stop by for coffee today, Sandy. So am I, David. It's been so crazy lately. Sometimes it feels like being undead is more work than being alive. <laughs> but can I be honest with you, David? Always. Sometimes, even when I try my best, I get that not-so-fresh feeling. And you know how Ted is about that. I know. It's like it's not hard enough stopping the natural processes of decay. But we have to smell great while we're doing it. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) But you always smell graveyard fresh. What's your secret? It's no secret. It's the same thing my boys wear. Axe body spray. Axe body spray? Isn't that just for teenage jocks and frat boys? Not at all, Sandy. Axe body spray is so strong, it even blocks out the unseemly stench of the living dead. Here, let me show you. Take a whiff of my eyes. Wow! They really smell. You could knock a buzzard off a wagon. How can you even see? I know, right? I've been dead a long time, but let me put on some axe. (coughs) Pungent. Give it a minute. Say, that is better. Told ya, if it can cover up a college boy who hasn't showered after two keggers, it can cover up our smell. Wow! Ah, the dinner guests. Come in, Tony, come in. Hi, David. Jeez, it's really dark in here. Darn bulbs have burned out again. The kitchen is better. Come on back. David, are you okay? You sound different. You smell great, though. Tony, meet Sandy. Let's eat. Brains. Here's an
isn't this a nice night, Howard? It really is. But um, we should be getting home. You're so silly, always wanting to hide away at home when the night is so beautiful. Well, I have certain problems with the night. Oh, look, honey, the moon is coming out from behind the clouds, and it's full. No, no, I thought that was next week. Uh, uh, oh, get, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm ch- changing. Uh, uh, Friends, is this you? Are you a part of the Great Werewolf Underground? If so, are you tired of waking up the next day, naked and dirty, making the walk of shame home? With Johnson's Wear Pack, those days are over. Unlike flimsy, old-fashioned backpacks, Johnson's Wear Pack changes shape to accommodate your body as you change. The secret is our patented liquiform harness. Our strap shift as your shoulders turn to haunches and your stomach turns to underbelly. Johnson's Wear Pack stay on even during your wildest nights out so you can be confident that your monthly visitor won't leave you stranded. We have pockets for underwear, pants, shirt, shoes, socks, a legal form of ID, money for a taxi, and even wet naps, specially formulated to remove dry blood. Not again. At least I have my Johnson's wear pack. Get your Johnson wear pack today. Carries the Lon Chaney seal of approval. Janet! Janet, is that you? So much blood. Oh God, what have I done? I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for a place called the Old Books Hi, my name is Jake from New Farm Realty. Oh, hi Jake, I'm Ted. Come on in. So you'd like to sell your house, huh? Mm-hmm. Great. I'm sure we can do a lot with this lovely home. One thing, your yeah. curb appeal is a little off because your yard has so many humps and bumps. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's getting so hard to mow. Was that an excavation or a plumbing issue? Oh, no, no. Just, you know, hobbies. Hobbies? Yeah, you know, just messing around with a shovel like you do. Okay. Are you planning to have that smoothed out before you sell? Oh, no. I don't want to move them. It... So I'll just put down, lawn has great potential. How soon were you planning to go into the market? Well, as soon as I can. Ah, motivated seller. Yeah, I gotta get out of here. I, I, I need more space. You starting a family? Oh no, I live alone. Okay. Uh, your neighborhood is certainly very quiet. Not, not much activity. Yep, it's a lot quieter now than it used to be. Yeah? Oh yeah, there, there used to be a lot of kids. Don't see so many kids out there anymore. Some of the houses looked like they need work, like their owners weren't doing much with them. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of people leave. Mm. Did you talk to them about why they were moving? Oh, no, I I really didn't know my neighbors that well. Seems like most of them I only got to know, like, right at the end. Well, let's go through the house. This front room looks nice. Good crown molding, wooden flooring. That's a big plus these days, sturdy wood flooring. Yeah. You've got some stains here, really dark. Have you tried cleaning them? Oh, yeah, I've tried scrubbing that. It just comes back, though. You may want to put down an area rug or three. Those stains are old. I'm a lot more careful now. Tell me about the black plastic on the windows. What's that for? Well, this house faces west, and in the evenings it gets really bright, and I don't want to get sunburned, so I had to cover that up. Seems to be on... 
all the windows. Well, you can't be too careful, my mother used to say. Sweet, sweet mother. That may be something you think about taking down before you put it on the market. Let a little more light in here. Brighten it up. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Well, when I'm ready to go, I'll, I'll take all that down. There's a thing called staging. You want to make the house look lived in, make it homey. Like some people bake chocolate chip cookies in the oven when they show a house. Cookies in the oven? Huh. Never thought about that. Just an old realtor's trick. Speaking of the kitchen, let's give it a look. Okay. Wow, that's a big meat grinder. Why, thank you. Nice cupboard, solid wood. Wow, you're a minimalist with the dishes, huh? Just two plates, but what a knife collection. Yep, those are my butcher knives. Yeah, you don't see those displayed in the home a lot. At least not five of them. Oh, well, they're nice and sharp, too. You want to try one? No, no, I'll take your word for it. Uh, this one here is my favorite. It's really heavy. You get a great cut out of it. Right through anything, bone, tendon, gristle, you name it, yeah. I'd feel a whole lot better if that was back on the wall, Ted. Really? Yeah, I'm just not that big a fan of knives. So maybe not hold that so close to me and put it back, okay? Thanks. Well, all right. That's it for the kitchen. Let's take a look at the rest of the house. Is this a bedroom? The door's locked. Yeah, I, I don't go in there. I'm, I'm kind of ashamed it's so messy. Well, I guess we all have skeletons in our closets, huh? <laughs> don't I know it. Huh? Nothing. So this is the master bedroom, huh? Yep. Just like I mentioned with staging, you want people to see themselves living in a room. Mm -hmm. One mattress on the floor doesn't suggest that. Oh, well, I, I usually sleep in that other room. This one's a corner room, so it gets cold. Sure, sure. Uh, maybe take some of the black plastic off the windows. Uh, well, that helps it stay warm. Okay. Uh, that's a good-looking family in that photograph. I, I like candid pictures. Uh, was that taken through a window? Yes. Those your relatives? No. Friends? No. Okay, there's the bathroom. Looks good. Yeah, I just bleached it out. Looks like you uh, missed a spot. There's some red stains here. Um, I cut myself shaving. I wouldn't have thought someone with a beard as long as yours would do much shaving. Well, there's many ways of manscaping. Could have done without knowing that. What? Nothing. Let's go to the basement. Whoa, is that smell always here? Did you have an animal die in here? Hmm, I hadn't noticed. Occupational hazard. I, I'm not smell sensitive. Oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, work at the dump. Do you like that? Oh, I love it. They don't care if you take stuff, and they hardly ever lock the gates at night. It's great for uh, disposing of things. Wow. Uh, what year was the house built? 1990. Why? A house that new should have a cement floor. Why is it dirt? It's easier to maintain. Easier than cement? It's, uh, in case of infestation, if, if, if something's down here, I can see the footprints more easily in dirt than cement. That's pretty unusual. I'm probably gonna have to talk to my supervisor about how they want me to comment on that. Say, those lumps look just like the ones in your yard. You dig inside? Yes, no better way to stay in shape than with a shovel and pick. You come from a long line of prospectors, do you? Something like that. Really though, what's buried there? I like to plant things. What do you grow? Oh, nothing. I, I just like to plant things. Is that what all the lime is for? Sure. Gardening. That's a lot of freezers. You a survivalist? Yeah, something like that. Ted, I gotta tell you, you're making me really nervous here. I've seen Dangerous Minds and CSI. 
These are human remains, aren't they? Geez, Jake, I, I really wish you hadn't asked me that. Why? <sighs> because now I have to find another realtor. <coughs> this is the best way to make a killing in real estate. Oh, the shark babe has such teeth, dear. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe. And it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bites with its teeth, Scarlet Billow. From deep in the Nevada desert, I'm Rance Romando with Countrywide Community Broadcasting. Donald Trump has called a press conference to unveil a new government project. He's standing at what would seem to be a somewhat hastily constructed podium in front of a giant, very thin structure covered in tarps behind him. We go live now to his address. Okay, people, stop moving around. Before I begin, I do want the record to show that this is the largest turnout that any president has ever had to a press conference. Anyway, this is a national park, so technically you're on my lawn, which obviously you should get off of, but not until I tell you about a latest, amazing, unbelievable project. It is something I've been working on for a long time with all the best people imaginable. It's really impressive, something no one else in the history of the world could have done, and it was all me, okay? What is it? All right. So somebody gave me this book. It was an old book. Been around a while, I guess. That's what they tell me. I got my copy from Mikey Pence, uh, who called it the Bible or something, and understand it was written by Anon, Anun, Anini. They don't know who wrote the damn thing. At any rate, Pence wanted me to read it, and he underlined a lot of stuff in it, like this one part that says how hard it is to be wealthy. What was that line, Pence? Oh, oh, I get to speak. Oh, I thought I just walked out of football games. This is so exciting. I know it is, Pensy. Now, what was that line? Ah, Matthew nineteen twenty four. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Exactly. So it's proving how hard it is to be a rich white male. Totally unfair. Poor us, am I right? <laughs> I read that and I thought, that's not right. Why shouldn't I get into heaven? I've been a great person. I've made America great again so many times. The big guy can't deny me just because I'm stupid to be smart and have money. Isn't it our right to go to heaven? Shining city on a hill and uh, all that. Sure, whatever. Anyway, it's probably just crooked Hillary's fault that everybody isn't going to heaven. I know she isn't. She's right. It's sad. No Bill Clinton either. So many scandals, you know. Presidents have to be in control of their urges. Watch that stuff, Pensy. God forgive me. We're here to see how the Bible can be approved upon. I'm going to show that the wealthy can be guaranteed a place in heaven, just like they're guaranteed a place in my administration. Wait, this is all about you proving that you can beat the Bible? I don't want to just beat it. I want to show it how American ingenuity can improve upon it. I'm a rich man, but I'm not a young man. I'm certainly in the best health of anyone that's ever been my age. You can just ask my doctor. You can tell because I don't even need exercise, and I'm in amazing shape. Are pears in amazing shape? Anyway, but someday I'll be gone with just my legacy and several buildings named after me. If you're a rich man, maybe you could show us your tax returns to prove that. I'm not showing you my tax returns in the desert. It's dirty out here. Stupid questions from the failing New York Times. I'm not with them. Stop trying to take me off the point, you liberal media bully, and listen to what I want to tell you about this project. I read the Bible line a couple times and thought, hell, I can do that. I can put a camel through a needle. Easy. I built a wall for America. No, you haven't. Hey, 
I think it, it gets done. The world just needs to catch up with my amazing brain. Anyway, I came out here to the desert where the camels are. There are no camels in Nevada. We had them shipped in. Come on, Pensy, quiet down. So there are camels here now, and I gotta work finding ways to pass one through the eye of a needle. Something nobody else could be but me could do. Make camels great again. Just like when the baby Jesus rode a camel into Jerusalem. You know it. What? That's me, getting things done. I'm draining the swamp. Believe me, baby. How can you drain a desert? We're going to make a needle like nobody ever saw. The great American needle, and it's going to fit a camel like you won't believe. And it's going to prove all those losers out there that Donald Trump is not only a winner in this life, but in the next one. I'm a rich man, and I can put a needle through the eye of a camel. Um, I think it's the other way. Jesus, Pensy, you nag like Hillary. So you're going to make America great again with needles. Seems like the U.S. already has that going on. There you liberals go again. I didn't say that, but let my actions speak louder and make America greater again. Louder than words? Okay, Pensy, show everybody what I've got. Didn't Stormy already describe that? Drop the covering! Ladies and gentlemen, the tarps have dropped away to reveal a giant needle, and in the distance, facing us, what appears to be a camel strapped into a catapult. Have you ever seen such an impressive needle? No way. It makes the Seattle Space Needle look puny. The Washington Monument has been surpassed. It's so big, my eyes hurt just looking at it. Sir, you're looking into the sun again. Oh, okay. But you gotta admit it's big. What question do you failures have now? Why are you using a fully grown camel? Wouldn't a baby camel have needed a smaller and cheaper needle? Of course we considered it. What, you think we're as limited in imagination as your kind? No way. We even hired Genetti... Genie? Genie Isis? What's the word, Pensy? Geneticus. Yeah, some pointhead losers who were all studying while I was out making money and betting models. Some of these guys actually went to graduate school in science. Science! I can tell you this was a real problem for Betsy DeVos. Believe me, but I like I told her, Betsy, honey, put down the crayons and listen to Uncle Donnie. Sometimes you gotta bring in this people going to hell so you can get what you want. Let the hens guard the fox house, Betsy. Yeah, that's not how the saying goes. It means what I say it means. I get those eggheads to make a teeny tiny camel that would go through the eye of a regular needle. In fact, we made a camel too small to be seen by the naked eye or the clothed eye because I'm not a pervert like you from the press. But what does something too small to be seen show? Nothing. It's fake news. Plus, we kept stepping on them. Messy. Speaking of messy, remember the camel soup? Camel soup? I swear, sometimes, Pence, you're worse than Sessions. The first idea was pureeing camels and pouring them through needles. Never got the right consistency. Bones and teeth. Just bones and teeth swimming in the Kool-Aid. And what would teeny camels and chunky camel soup say about us? That we had to think small? That we had to buy giant food processors? No, we had to think big. Anything less than an adult camel would be like building a one-foot wall on the border to keep out the rapists and murderers. We can't have a one-foot wall. We need something bigger than that. And that's what the needle is all about. Showing that America has the biggest needle. Just look at its hands. We're number one. Number one in liquid camel. Got it. It's a full-size camel at the beginning, and it's a camel at the end, okay? Everybody can just stop complaining and stop lying about me on Twitter, the most important thing in the world. I don't need you pinkos from the press. I just need Twitter. Okay, people, are we saying we're ready for the demonstration? Wait, are you going to fling the camel through the eye of the needle? Can you be that accurate? Of course, we can do anything. Plus, this way we show how quickly I'll pass through the pearly gates, which, by the way, I plan to have gilded. My heaven's going to be the classiest heaven. Believe me, let's start the countdown. Ten... Nine, eight, seven. Why is six, the camel aimed five, towards us? Four, three, two, one, go! Oh, the, the camel's been released and is flying towards the needle. It's really up there, and. 
It hit the needle and bounced off. It did not pass through, but now it's coming towards us. Look out! Get out of here! Pensy, you said this was a sure thing! No one ever listens to me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a disaster here. The camel has landed on the podium. I can't see what's happening, but I can see that the needle seems dangerously unstable. I don't think it was built to withstand a ballistic camel. Nope, and now here it comes. Pence, you said Jesus approved. He tells me a lot of things. Mostly when I'm napping in my office. Damn it! This is the problem with your religion. It's why I like my saviors like I like my war heroes. Uncaptured! Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A fine evening ruined by the Craft Halloween special. I hope you'll join us on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. during the regularly scheduled, much less frenetic mayhem when I interview writers and performers, singers, songwriters, anybody who piques my interest, and maybe we'll pique yours as well, and then we'll peek around the corner at each other. The people to blame for this episode include Sam Block, J. Randall Hicks, David Lindstead, Bryce Mead, Cody McNulty, David Perfect, and of course, your host, Doug Dangler. Until next time, I hope you have a spooky, scary Halloween, and... Be creative. <laughs>